Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and on this week's episode, we'll look at building a blueprint for innovation, the four lenses you need to see the world through when drafting an innovation plan, the core components of any successful innovation blueprint, and how to ensure the blueprint you create can withstand first contact with the enemy. Here with us today to discuss all that and more is Rowan Gibson, a world-renowned innovation expert who has served as a keynote speaker on the subject of innovation in 60 countries around the world. Rowan is the internationally best-selling author of two major books on corporate innovation and business strategy, Innovation to the Core and Rethinking the Future, which are published today in over 20 languages apiece. He is also co-founder of InnovationExcellence.com, the most popular innovation website in the world, built on an international group of over 22,000 members from 175 countries. Welcome to the podcast, Rowan. Hi, Will. Great to be with you. All right. So, Rowan, we have 12 episodes of the podcast in the books up to this point, and we've covered a lot of the basic building blocks of innovation. So let's assume that our audience has done enough, as they say, getting ready to get ready, and now they want to take action. So in one of the videos on your website, rowangibson.com, you mentioned that very few companies understand what it takes to make innovation an enterprise-level capability. What do companies need to know to develop their own enterprise innovation plan? Well, the first thing we need to understand is that uh, although innovation may happen by chance from time to time, an innovation capability doesn't happen by chance. You know, an, an engine is not going to build itself. And so if we're going to make uh, innovation um, a deep enterprise-wide capability, then we have to intervene, you know, in ways that are similar to to, uh, to what we did with um, quality, for example, or, or lean manufacturing or supply chain management. Any of those things that, that have become enterprise capabilities today uh, were achieved through, through deep intervention. Mm-hmm. And so what we need to do is to build a, an enterprise system for innovation. You know, if you go into most companies and you ask people, how does your quality system work? They'll tell you, you know, how does your customer service system work? You know, people can talk to you for an hour or so about those systems. But if you ask them about the corporate innovation system, you know, you normally get a blank expression. And so uh, that's a whole different ballgame. So what I talk about is, you know, how do you build that engine? And the, the way you do that is by looking at four components that need to be fully aligned and integrated just as, as you would, for example, if you're building a literal engine, you need to have the, you know, the crank shaft and the gearbox and the spark plugs and all that stuff in the right places. And so there are four basic components that we need to bring together. The first is called uh, leadership and structure. So this is about the leadership commitment. It's about a management infrastructure for innovation that will reach into every nook and cranny of the organization. Mm-hmm. The second component is called processes and tools. So this is about making things systematic and acquiring or building the kind of enabling tools for that process. And the third component is called people and skills. So, you know, you can build all the systems and the mechanisms and the processes in the world, but if you don't train people how to use them, if you don't develop human capabilities, if you don't build innovation into KPIs and balanced scorecard objectives and so on and rewards and recognition, you know, it won't happen. And the fourth component is called culture and values. So this is really about embedding innovation into the 
kind of cultural mechanisms of the company so that it becomes a, a, a norm. You know, right now, we, if we look at most organizations, we might talk about innovation being a, a value. But the reality is that the only true values a company usually has are things like efficiency and quality and service and so on, because those are the things that dominate most of the work that people do. So we need to, to work on those four components, and we need to ensure that, that, that each one of them is integrated with all the others in order for it to become a fully functional system. Okay, understood. So uh, with the caveat that they all need to work in tandem, since we're talking about building a blueprint for innovation, I want to I focus on, at least for now, the processes and tools aspect of building an enterprise innovation engine. So you have a defined four-step process that you teach companies to follow to drive sustainable corporate innovation. What are the four steps in that process? Okay, so again, it's a number four. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so here we're talking really uh, initially about the front end. So when you think about the innovation process and going back to your first question, you know, how do you make it sort of uh, sustainable? You know, and this is my caveat. We need to work on both the front end and the back end. So the things I was talking about a moment ago uh, really have to do more with the back end of innovation, you know, ensuring that we can take ideas from the mind to the market. But coming back to the front end, that's where these four, these four lenses or these four steps come in. So just as a background there, um, based on some research into hundreds and hundreds of cases of business innovation, if you look at all of those cases, an interesting pattern emerges, and that is that the innovators came to their discoveries not by sitting there staring out of the window, you know, waiting for a light bulb to go up above their head, you know, Eureka, but they actually came to their discoveries by looking at the world from particular perspectives. So it was almost as if the the the, the, the innovators were, were wearing or using different lenses in order to look at the world. And that research basically led to the conclusion that there are these four lenses or four perspectives that innovators, that innovators tend to use. And I'd like to kind of outline what they are. So the first is called challenging orthodoxies. So this is really about taking conventional wisdom, uh, inside the company or inside the industry and turn it on its head. You know, it's about looking at our core beliefs, our assumptions about, you know, who the customer is, you know, what kind of value we should be providing, what our offering should be in terms of products and services, how we bring our offering to the market, how we structure the, you know, the business model itself, how we make money. All of those things kind of, if you look at most uh, organizations, they're, they've become orthodoxies. They've become assumptions. And we need to challenge those things in order to open up new opportunities for innovation. The second lens is called harnessing trends. So this is really about having uh, or basically taking a, a wide angle lens and looking at what's going on in the world around us. So if we think about all of the fundamental changes that are taking place very rapidly today in uh, lifestyles, uh, demographics, you know, consumer behavior, technology, sustainability, geopolitical trends, you know, all kinds of trends that are taking place. How do we kind of get a, a real understanding of those things? Because sometimes a, a development will start like a little ripple on the ocean somewhere, but it turns into a tsunami. And those tsunamis can uh, destroy whole uh, industry business models. So the, the issue for us is how do we ride those waves rather than being destroyed by them? So how do we harness the trends? That's the second lens. The third lens is about leveraging resources in new ways. 
So this is about you know looking at your organization not as a, a collection of business units, typical organization chart, but but rather as a collection of core competencies and strategic assets and saying to yourself, how could we recombine those resources and stretch them into new opportunities? So for example, if you look at Disney, Disney started out animation company and whatever, but they went into all kinds of new kind of growth opportunities. So it was the live action stuff. It was the theme parks. And then from the theme parks into theater and then from theater into, you know, Disney on ice. And then we say, well, what if we were to create a Disney cruise line? In fact, one of the fastest growing business units today inside Disney is a thing called Disney English. And it, it's actually a, an English language school in China for kids, you know, based on the, the Disney characters. So it's like, how do we stretch our unique skills and our, our assets into these new growth opportunities? Or how do we take someone else's resources and add them to our own in order to create some new value? So that might be uh, licensing somebody else's uh, property or it might be you know, intellectual property or it might be creating a joint venture or partnership with another company. But how, how do we recombine these resources? The fourth lens is called understanding needs. So this is really the, the holy grail of innovation today is about you know, the customer insight. So it's about getting under the skin of the customer and sort of looking back at your business from the customer's perspective and saying, you know, what's wrong with it from the customer's view and how do we put it right? You know, what are the emerging needs that perhaps even the customer's not yet aware of? Sometimes we have to second guess what those emerging needs are going to be. So the idea with these four lenses is how do we then use these perspectives to systematically generate new strategic insights around you know, industry orthodoxies or company orthodoxies that deserve to be challenged, trends that we should be harnessing to create new value, some new combinations of, or recombinations of resources that will create new growth opportunities, or you know, what are the customer needs that we surely sh you know, should be addressing before the competition? So I use that tool, that, that methodology, it's called the four lenses of innovation, I use that all around the world. So all of these 60 countries that you mentioned and all of the, the hundreds of companies in you know, all of those various kinds of industries are using this tool now to, to generate new breakthrough opportunities. Okay, great. So, so let's just say, for example, that I'm the Acme widget company and, uh, and, and you've trained us on how to go through the process of the four lenses after I go through that process and I want to create an innovation blueprint, what should come out on the other end? What, what should a final innovation blueprint look like? Okay, well, there are two things here. There, there are, there's the output from the four lenses. So the output from the four lenses is going to be initially uh, completely new strategic insights. Uh, then the next step is to take those insights and to crash them together. Because what usually happens is if you look at disruptive innovation, really radical innovation, it tends to be built at the intersection points between those four types of lenses. So it's an industry orthodoxy or a company orthodoxy combined with a trend, combined with some resource we could use differently, combined with some customer need that we haven't addressed yet. So it's kind of a combination of those things. So what you're going to get out of that is then uh, a portfolio of new ideas and growth opportunities. And from there, we build what we call an innovation architecture. So that's taking those those new ideas, those new growth opportunities, and clustering them into maybe three or four big major themes. So that's the, that's the outcome of the four lenses. 
the, the innovation blueprint really concerns, you know, how do we build the enterprise capability? So going back to what I said earlier, coming up with great new ideas and, you know, an innovation architecture is wonderful. That's one thing. That's the front end. But if we don't build kind of the, the innovation engine that will take those sparks, you know, from the spark plugs and turn it into motion, then we haven't really achieved a lot. So the blueprint is how do we build the innovation engine, you know, the corporate innovation system that can take those ideas and drive them all the way through the pipeline um, to uh, commercialization. So that blueprint is going to look like, you know, a set of activities that a company needs to perform in order to embed innovation as a, an all the time everywhere capability. Mm -hmm. So what I do, what I do initially is I work with a company using a thing uh, I call the innovation diagnostic. So this is an online diagnostic tool, auditing tool, questionnaire, very detailed, very comprehensive, that will um, ask a lot of people across the company questions concerning those four components that I mentioned uh, earlier. So that's, you know, what's your current level of leadership commitment to innovation? Not just in word, but in deed. You know, like how, what sort of percentage of, of leadership time is currently spent mentoring or managing new innovation projects? What um, percentage of leadership compensation is currently linked to the innovation performance of that leader's business unit? So anyways, these are very deep questions. What, what level of management infrastructure have you currently built around innovation? Do you have somebody sitting on the executive committee that's directly responsible for building innovation capability and for producing new kinds of innovation ideas? So do you have innovation mentors and champions as you do, for example, for Six Sigma or whatever. Um, what, what's the level of kind of the, the processes in the company right now for generating different kinds of ideas? So not just products, but services, cost structure innovations, business model innovations, marketing strategy innovations, process innovations. What sort of what sort of processes do we have in place to produce those kinds of ideas? And are we using all of the available tools? You know, are we using systematic? ideation methodologies? Are we using metrics? You know, are we using the right kind of, you know, resource reallocation tools, and project management tools? You know, so do, what do we have in terms of all of those components? Are we training people? Have we built innovation into their KPIs and so on? What kind of cultural mechanisms are we using to, to make innovation a kind of everyday reality? So this, this diagnostic covers all of those issues. And what it's going to do is it, 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 it's going to give you a very clear picture of what your company looks like right now. So it's, it's like looking in the mirror. You know, we might think we look gorgeous and, uh, and the hair is beautiful and whatever. But, you know, you take a look in the mirror and think, oops, you know, maybe not as great as I thought. And, and so, so what, this is what it does. You know, it's going to give you a, a real picture of what your organization looks like. And, uh, and also it's going to then show you, number one, where the strengths are because there are already some existing strengths. And it's like you said in your, in your intro, you said, you know, we looked at the building blocks of innovation. A lot of companies already have some of those building blocks in place, but they're not integrated as a system. So they might have a kind of a, a idea competition process or they might have a reward and recognition system or whatever, but they don't have a, a resource reallocation process in place to take ideas. And, you know, they don't have the, the, the necessary people to project manage some of these opportunities and so on. So what the diagnostic does, it not only shows you where the strengths are, but it's going to show you where the gaps are. Where are the performance gaps? Where are the gaps between these building blocks? And how do we fill those gaps? And so 
you know, the, the idea is to come out with a real roadmap for what needs to be done in terms of strategy and what needs to be to be built in order to make innovation a sustainable capability. So it's going to say, here are the things you need to do in leadership commitment. Here's the stuff you need to do in terms of building management infrastructure. You know, here's what needs to be done in terms of processes and tools and people and skills and culture and values. And it's about how do we integrate all of those activities over, let's say, a one-year, two-year, three-year period, just like we did with, you know, total quality management or Lean Six Sigma in order to create an enterprise capability for innovation. And for, lis- for listeners out there that may be interested in looking in the mirror and seeing just how, how innovative they are, is, that a, is the diagnostic tool something that's readily, readily available online? It's not free. Okay. It, uh, it Fair is enough. A, yeah, it's a proprietary tool. Um, I am thinking of making a sort of, uh, uh, let's say, a stripped-down version, which is free. But, um, but the innovation diagnostic is a proprietary tool. And, uh, but, 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 you know, it's, it's, um, it's money well spent, and, and I'd, and I'd you know, recommend that companies uh, get in touch to think about doing that. Sure. So I want to ask you a question. There's a popular saying around here that you, that you may have heard before. Uh, it rings true for a lot of the work that we do, and I would imagine probably the same holds true for, for the companies you work with, and it's this. Uh, no strategy survives first contact with the enemy. So, okay. it, and it basically means planning is great, but once you get out into the real world and try to enact things, certain things are going to pop up that you just hadn't planned for. So once a company has kind of drafted an, an innovation blueprint, what's the best way to ensure that people actually either follow through on the plans that have been laid or can update them accordingly based on that first contact with the enemy? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, you kind of have to ask yourself, who's the enemy? You know, um, and I think there's a different enemy in, in different situations. For example, if that innovation strategy is developed by, you know, some unit of the company or some business, some some part of the organization somewhere that's not kind of at the high enough level, then the enemy will be top leadership or the enemy might be sort of middle management or whatever else. So that's a situation that's very tough. You know, if people want to create an innovation capability, um, you know, at the company picnic, it, it's guaranteed to be sort of stamped on by someone somewhere else higher up the hierarchy. But but um, but if the if the innovation strategy is developed from the top of the organization, so this is what happens is you know in, in the cases uh, when I'm working with companies, I usually work with the executive committee with the CEO. We, we one of the first things I do is set up a you know a, a VP of innovation at the highest level, and so that strategy is developed by the leadership team, and therefore the enemy in this case is not is not kind of someone higher up, but it's actually people lower down. The enemy, and I, you know, I hate to say it, but the enemy might be, you know, the, the, the people, the general population of the company that, let's say, feel like they've got uh, other priorities and, uh, you know, can't be bothered. Or, or business unit leaders that sort of say, yeah, yeah, we, we're really interested in getting innovation done. But, you know what, I can't spare any people at this moment to go to a, you know, one or two day innovation accelerator uh, event. Or I can't spare any people to be trained as innovation mentors. So that in that sense, you know, that could be the enemy. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that really the, the answer here is to make sure that innovation is driven from the top. You know, it has to be driven from the very top of the organization. It has to be, it's rather like, you know, when, when companies said, okay, we're going to do TQM, you know, we're going to do ISO, you know, we're going to spend, let's say let, the next three years, we're going to uh, focus almost exclusively on, on quality or, you know, Lean Six Sigma or supply chain management or customer. So whatever that thing was, it was driven 
from the top. So people couldn't really sort of wriggle out of it. It, it had to be done. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, I, you know, that's, I believe, the answer to uh, ensuring that the, the strategy um, actually gets implemented is making sure that it's driven by, <clears throat> you know, the locomotive at the very, very front, which is, you know, the, the leadership team. Okay, got it. So question for you about your book, Innovation to the Core. Uh, in the first chapter of the book, you describe a working environment that sounds borderline utopian, probably, to most people in corporate America. You talk about companies that are filled with committed, empowered employees who have the ability to dream up and implement novel ideas that they can track the progress of online 24-7 to see how effective their initiatives truly are. So what may sound like science fiction to many people in corporate America is actually a reality at the GEs, the Procter & Gamble's, and the IBM's of the world. How did companies like that get to that point, and why is it so hard for everyone else? Well, the answer there, I think, is that those organizations uh, have recognized that innovation is the number one strategic priority. You know, unless you recognize that, uh, first of all, then there's no catalyst. There's no motivation to build an innovation engine, which, you know, is a sort of two, three year major commitment. It's a it's a cultural uh, transition. So but those companies have recognized it. So what they've said to themselves is, wait a minute, you know, we, we are on the hook to deliver a tremendous amount of growth, you know, a huge percentage of growth from year to year. So where's that growth going to come from? It's not going to come from downsizing, cost cutting, lean six sigma, uh, which is essentially about, you know, just becoming better at what you currently do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to, it's not going to come from necessarily from, from mergers and acquisitions or any of those sort of, in a sense, tired, you know, management practices. It's not going to come from quality or any of those kinds of things. The only way we're going to get dramatic growth is through innovation, by coming up with new products and services, um, business models and strategies and so on that, that create tremendous new value for customers and in turn create incredible new wealth uh, for us. So if you, if you go back and think about, I mean, Apple has stalled in recent years clearly because of you know, the passing away of Steve Jobs. But if you go back and look at what they were able to do from sort of 1997 up until I don't know, 2000 and sort of 12. I mean, they, they, they grew the company. The total stock market value of, of Apple in 97 was $2 billion. You know, and uh, they were able to grow it to like over $600 billion, you know, in, the, in that space of time. So where did all the growth come from? It didn't come from downsizing and cost cutting and trying to make the world's cheapest laptop and, and being more efficient. It came from coming up with Fabulous new products and services. Yeah, you know, those those. Think about the iPod, the iPad, uh, the Apple Store, the App Store, iTunes. All of those things that created that value. That's where the growth came from. So you know the giant GEs and PNGs and IBMs have recognized that if they're going to grow significantly, they've got to put innovation first. The second thing is renewal, strategic renewal. What we're recognizing is that business models don't last anywhere near as long as they used to. And so the, the issue today is how do we win this race for renewal? It's the race to um, change as fast as the world is changing around you. It's the race to find new sources of profit before the old sources of profit disappear. It's the race to reinvent your strategy and your business model before they become obsolete. You know, so, so we've recognized that the only way for us to get that level of renewal is through innovation. It's not going to come from anywhere else. So that's what these giant companies have recognized. And, and I, I think we see that reflected in the words that are coming out of the leadership, you know, the leaders' mouths. So if you, if you think about GE, Jack Immelt has said literally the only answer for us today 
is innovation. The only answer, I mean, this is a company that's tried every other answer. If you go back to the time of Jack Welsh, it was all about, you know, it was about Six Sigma and, and fanatical efficiency and all that kind of thing. But now GE recognizes that we're in a new era. And in this new era, the only answer is innovation. If you, if you look at P&G, you know, it was Alan Lafley that said, I want innovation across the spectrum not just in, in, in the products and, and so on, but in, in the way we market and manufacture and so on. And, and the same is true of Ginny Rometty at, at IBM. She said that you know, the number one priority today for, for CEOs is, is growth through innovation. And so you know, that's, that's the message coming out of the mouths of the leaders. And it's, it's not just rhetoric. You know, it's also reality. They're, they're uh, basically doing all the things that I mentioned earlier. They're, they're, they're really trying to build an innovation engine that becomes an all-the-time-everywhere capability across those companies. If you, if you don't recognize innovation as the number one priority and you're not willing as leadership to, to drive that through the organization, then you know, there's no chance that innovation will become uh, a sustainable, everyday reality. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And I love how often you use the word innovation engine also. As the, well, as the host of the Innovation Engine podcast, yeah, it's a nod to it's a nod to the host of the Innovation Podcast. <laughs> so, a, a, a question you mentioned in your last answer: the speed at which things are accelerating in in this world. So, we often hear innovation broken down into incremental innovation and breakthrough innovation, or or radical innovation, as you call it. So, in a world where everything is changing at such a uh, such an astonishing speed. How can companies plan innovation five or ten years into the future? Well, you know, there, there's a couple of answers there. Number one is, you know, a lot of technology companies build long-term roadmaps. You know, so they're, they're trying to figure out, you know, when certain kinds of technologies will become available for them to be able to build that kind of stuff into their products and whatever. So they build these long-term roadmaps. But I think that you know, it's not always easy to plan five or ten years out into the future. If you go back five or ten years, you know, and you look at what's changed, or maybe ten or twelve years. I mean, I was talking about uh, you know, like a ten or twelve year period in the growth of Apple. Look at what changed in that period. I mean, if you go back and look at a mobile phone, let's say in 1997, that was a, most of us typically had our first cell phones in 97. You know, 96, 97. We have maybe a Nokia or a Motorola cell phone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, but look at that phone. It was, we, were, we were actually just happy to have a phone. We didn't care what else it could do. But by 2007, that's 10 years later, we had the iPhone you know, with the App Store, with thousands and thousands of apps. So look at the way things you know, changed in, in that 10-year period. Um, you know, Google's only been around for, what is it now, 10 or 12 or 13 years? You know, we didn't even have Google back uh, you know, just over a decade ago. Right. So... So really, I think it's very tough to look five or ten years out into the future. So that's not really my, 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 my focus. My focus is how do we use the four lenses to generate ideas you know, right now that we can then begin to implement. Now, it might take us several years to implement some of those ideas. That's why I talked earlier about an innovation architecture. What that architecture does is it says, okay, here are the sort of three or four major focus areas for us in the future. These have come out of the ideas we've generated. We've clustered them into these bigger themes. Now, let's look at those individual ideas. Some of them are kind of low-hanging fruit, so we can, we can uh, address those things very quickly. But some of them might be a, a lot further out because we're waiting for a particular technology to become you know, mature. And so it might take us three, four, five years or even longer to get that to happen. But if it's an opportunity that's really big that we think is like 
going to be the next tsunami, then it's worth us investing, you know, and pacing ourselves um, over time with our investments to make sure that we can actually make that happen. Sure. So yeah, I'll date myself here. Going back to the smartphone comment, I graduated from college in 2001, and uh, that was when so I was 21 years old, obviously, and got my first smartphone, a Nokia, uh, and the most exciting thing to me was the ability to play snake on it. I mean, that was amazing. And that was before I think text messages, uh, but we've come a long way as they say, uh, in, uh, in a pretty short, pretty short period of time. So we're, we're running a little low on time here, Rowan. Do you have any other words of wisdom that you'd like to pass along to people out there in the corporate world who are looking to build out their innovation blueprints? Yeah, I, I think one of the first things is start at the right end. You know, I said earlier, leadership and structure, processes and tools, people and skills, culture and values. I put them in that order. What a lot of companies do is they start at the other end. So they say, we're going to change our culture. Well, it's very, very difficult to change uh, a, a corporate culture anyway. And if you're going to do it, you can't sort of do it by just looking at culture as its own separate entity. So what I, what I advise companies to do is start at the other end. Because if you start building that real leadership commitment, the driving force across the company, if you set up you know, a management infrastructure with VPs of innovation, managers of innovation, uh, mentors and champions and whatever across the company, if you um, institutionalize systematic processes and you teach people how to use innovation tools and you build innovation into their own performance metrics, you know, and then you begin to build in these cultural mechanisms, what you find is that the culture and the values begin to change anyway because people begin to see that it's real. So that, you know, one piece of advice was start at the right end, you know, drive it from, from the, the leadership level, first of all. And, and, you know, I guess, secondly, uh, just don't expect it to happen by chance. Don't, don't just pick a few, let's say, building blocks that seem appealing to you, like, uh, hey, we like um, creativity sessions, or we like uh, idea competitions, or we like people coming in dressed up as clowns, you know, or with one red sock and one green sock. <laughs> don't, you know... Don't don't just pick 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 those kind of uh, building blocks and hope that they they're going to fit together, but rather you know do the things that I've said you know start with a, a serious diagnostic to figure out you know how you're currently doing where are the strengths where are the performance gaps and then then build a, a real strategic plan to to address those um, issues in the right way. And so uh, you know if if I come into a company and they're already halfway through I, I think oh god this is going to go wrong. Because they've probably done a lot of stuff, you know, in the wrong way, and I've got to take it apart and start again. Or, but so, so if I go into a company and they say, you know, it's an open canvas, please help us. That's the best, best situation for me because really we can begin to build it uh, correctly from the word go. Okay, great. So innovation flows from the top down. Famous last words from uh, from Rowan Gibson, and a great note to close out this episode of the Innovation Engine podcast. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about building that innovation blueprint, you can find Rowan Gibson online at rowangibson.com and on Twitter at, at Rowan Gibson. It's R-O-W-A-N-G-I-B-S-O-N. The online innovation community that Rowan co-founded is Innovation Excellence and is at innovationexcellence.com. His latest book, Innovation to the Core, is available for sale on his website and in bookstores around the world in more than 20 languages. Uh, Rowan, thanks so much for joining us. Is there anywhere else online or in the real world that listeners should be looking out for you in the near future? Nope. Well, I think you covered everything.
Awesome. Great. Well, thanks again, Rowan. Really appreciate it. Uh, great advice. And uh, thanks for everything. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. Thanks, Rowan. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of the Innovation Engine podcast. Thanks so much for joining us this week. And thanks again to Rowan Gibson for joining us and giving us some great tips on how to build that innovation blueprint. Don't forget to tune in next week when we're very excited to have Dr. Letitia Britos Caballero on the podcast to talk about the intersection of innovation and design thinking. She's the deputy director at the National Center for Engineering Pathways to Innovation at Stanford University and a lecturer at Stanford's Hasso Plattner Institute of Design, commonly known as the D School. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.